My name is Yaakov Beasley in Alon Shvut on a beautiful summer day overlooking Yerushalayim, and you're listening to the third episode of Tanakh Talks, the podcast. Hi, today we're going to be talking about the Haftorah for this week's parasha, the first chapter of Jeremiah, chapter 1, Perak Aleph Yermiyahu. Now, when I was growing up, I always thought the word Haftorah was pronounced Haftorah, because I figured it wasn't as important as the Torah. The Torah came out in a very big scroll, and the Haftorah was always read from a little book. I figured it's not a full Torah, it's like a Haftorah. Later on, of course, I learned that it comes the word, the Shorosh is Patar. It means to conclude, to end with, to be Yotze with. This is what we say in the Seder, Eid Maftirin You don't do anything else beyond this. This is the last of the things that we do, referring, of course, to the Afikoman, or the Haftorah is how we conclude the Torah reading. The history behind the Haftorah is actually very interesting. There are some who say that this came from the time of the Maccabim, the time of the Hanukkah story, when the Greek king, the Seleucid king, Antiochus Epiphanes, prohibited the study of Torah, so the Jews began to study the Nevi'im instead. No public readings of the Torah. We're not reading anything from the Torah. We're just reading from the Nevi'im, the prophets, instead. Others say, no, this was actually a protest against the Shomornim, the Samaritans. The Samaritans, as you know, only have six books. They have a Hextatuch, they have the five books of the Torah, and Joshua. And this was a way of demonstrating that, no, all the books of the Tanakh, all the books of the Hebrew Bible, are in fact holy, are sacred, are kadosh. So there are all sorts of theories as to how this came about. The Talmud already, the Tosefta in Megillah Dalad, mentions that Haftorah were being read before Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkanes. Rabbi Eliezer ben Hurkanes lived in the time of the second Beit HaMikdash, in the time 70 after the Kalmyar began. So we see this as a very, very early custom to read a section of the Prophets after the Torah. This is the Haftorah. Normally, we read a section of the Haftorah, a section of the Prophets, that has some connection, some theme in common with the Torah reading of that week, of that Shabbat. However, for a third of the weeks, for 15 or 16 of the weeks, we read something that is more timely, meaning that instead of choosing something based on the Torah section that was just read, the parasha, we are choosing something based on something to do with the time. During the three weeks between Shiva Sarba Tammuz, the 17th day of Tammuz, and the fast day of Tisha B'Av, when we commemorate the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, we read three special Haftarot. This is the custom that's for almost 2,000 years already. We read three special Haftarot, the first two chapters of Jeremiah, chapter 1, chapter 2, and the first chapter of Yeshayahu, of Isaiah, on the Shabbat right before Tisha B'Av, when we commemorate the destruction of the Temple, the Beit HaMikdash. So let's look at chapter 1 in Yermiyahu. At first glance, it appears to be a basic, what we call Nivuat Hagdasha a section that describes how the Navi, how the prophet became a Navi. He is chosen, he offers some sort of refusal, and then Hashem overrides, as it were, his unwillingness and says, no, you can do this, you should do this. This is true for not only the major Navim, Yeshayahu, Yechezkel also have special chapters describing how they were appointed to be prophets, their Hakdashot to be Navim. We also see it, of course, of Moshe, and the hesitancy we see with many great leaders. Gidon is one, he refuses, he does not want to take the role of leadership. A special mention must be made of Yonah, who, of course, chooses to run away, as opposed to donning the mantle of prophecy, or at least the mantle of prophet to the people of Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. And this is the beginning of the prophecy. We actually know what year this is taking place in. This is the year 626. 
Let's give a quick little historical background. In the year 626 before the Common Era, this is 40 years before the Beit HaMikdash will be destroyed, but at this point in time, things are bubbling in the kingdom of Yehuda. The king has been Yoshiahu, Josiah in English, but we'll call him Yoshiahu. King Yoshiahu has been king for 13 years. He took power at the age of 8. But slowly and surely he is finding his way back to God. This is a process described in Chronicles 2 in Deber Yamim Bet Lamed Hay. And it describes how Yoshiahu slowly begins to turn towards God. He begins to turn toward the people towards God. We are not yet at 622 when the Sefer Torah, written by Moshe Rabbeinu, was found during the reconstruction of the Beit HaMikdash, of the temple, and they come to Yoshiao, and he realizes the severity of the people's actions, and he calls them together, and he leads them on this national repentance spree, which not only leads to a religious revival, but also political strengthening, because at that time, in 626, Ashurbanipal, the last of the great kings of Assyria, dies, Assyria, by the end of his reign, is weak for the first time ever. Reports that we have from his time, he's one of the few kings who does not describe how wonderful it is to be king because he faces tremendous difficulties, particularly during the last decade of his reign. There's invasions from the north, the east. He describes just trouble after trouble after trouble that befalls him, whereas he just wants to sit and read poetry in his garden. A very interesting admission for an Assyrian king to make. It's not one that one would expect from the monarch of such a bloodthirsty and vicious nation. Either way, Yermiao comes at this very auspicious time, and he turns to God, who says to him, I've known you since you were born, or even before you were born in the womb. The Redox takes that very literally, he says that in fact that he was, even when he was in the womb, his mother behaved in, with extra sanctity to make sure that the food he ate was special, However you wish to interpret, I do you in the womb, but he gets told I will make you a prophet to the nations or for the nations. That's a disagreement among the commentators. And Yermiel's first response is, Aha, Hashem Elohim, oi, Hashem God. I don't know how to speak. I'm a very young kid. Now, whether this is meant to be taken literally, this is the way the Barbanel says, listen, I'm a young kid, and who's going to listen to a young kid? If I have to rebuke people, I'm not. I'm a teenager. Who's going to listen to me? Radak also takes it in a similar vein, says, not that I'm a young kid, but I'm a young kid in my ability to put words together. Generally, when people speak, they have experience and communication. I'm young. I don't know the magic words. I don't know the magic phrases. I won't be able to do this well. And Al-Sheikh also says something very similar. He says, you need to be of a certain stature to speak to Jerusalem. Who am I? I don't have the stature. I'm not important enough. Whatever the case may be, God tells him, don't you worry, I will be with you all the way. I will tell you what to say, while I'll tell you what to speak. Don't fear anybody, for I am there to save you. Which, if you think about it, is really not that reassuring, because what dangers are there that Jeremiah, Yermiao, has to be saved from? He hasn't even told him this yet. And then it says that Hashem stretches out his hand, touches his mouth, says, look, I've symbolically place my words in your mouth. Behold, I have appointed you over the nations and over the kingdoms. Six verbs, to uproot and to crush, destroy and demolish, but then to build and to plant. The commentators, of course, discuss the precise meaning of each of these verbs, but you see that what Yermiao is coming to predict, although its end will be positive, there are tough times ahead for the Jewish people. Now we begin to look at the first of Yermiao's visions. There are going to be two visions that he sees. I'm in chapter 1, verse 11, Perak Alf, Pasuk Yidalaf. What do you see, Yermiao? 
which is really a very interesting question. What does it mean? What do you see? And we'll see that it's not that simple to see. I see an almond tree. And God said to me, You see well. And the question is, if he's showing him a vision of an almond tree, what is it that special? Here's an almond tree. What do you see? I see an almond tree. Correct. Great job. This sounds like this new modern age psychology. What's one plus one? Uh, two. You're brilliant. You're a genius. If it's simply seeing, if the word seeing here simply means, well, what do you see in your vision? Then it shouldn't be that difficult for your mouth to see it's an almond tree. The Radak, in fact, comes and says that what he sees is just a stick. And congratulations, Yermiao, you're able to ascertain that even without leaves or branches, identifying signs, you can see it's, it's a almond tree, a makel shaket. But of course, this is so important because God then comes and said, You see really well, great job. So now I'm going to be right there, I'm ready to fulfill my word. Rashi brings the Midrash, the, this happens quickly, the almond tree blooms faster than every other tree. The Midrash says, an almond tree takes 21 days from the time that it begins to blossom until the time is ripe, and the days between the 17th of Tammuz, which we're in right now, the days between the 7th of Tammuz and the 9th of Av are also 21 days. Very nice. The Malbim says something a little bit different, and he says what's great about Yermiao saying is he recognizes this is not a stick of leadership. It's not a mateh. It's not like when Aaron de Cohen puts his staff into the Aaron Kodesh, the Holy Ark, and it becomes blossoming with almonds and flowers. Rather, he understands that this rod makel is an instrument of punishment and not an instrument of leadership. And that is the distinction that Yermiao made that God praises him for. Either way, we see that the, peop- that the commentators are already bothered. Why is he doing this? What is it that God is praising? And we begin to appreciate that it's not enough to simply see, but you have to understand what you see. So when Yermiah says, I see a makel shaked, there's something that says it's more than just seeing a stick and knowing what type it is, but I understand what this message means. With that thought in mind, let's go to the more challenging of the two visions. We'll be come right back. The second vision is once again, Yermiao, what do you see? And this time he says, I see a bubbling pot and its face or its lid, its spout is towards the north. And God said to me, From the north will come the evil for all the inhabitants of the land. The question we should be asking is not only what is the symbolism of this vision, but what's missing this time? If you listen carefully, God doesn't praise him anymore. God is not telling him, Hey, Yermiao, great job. You understand what's going on. This time, God simply ignores it and says, No, no, no. You don't seem to appreciate what's happening. And I think that the reason for this is a very, very careful detail. Yermiao says, I see a pot and its lid is bubbling towards the north. And God says, No, no, no. It's not towards the north but rather from the north. The word Mivnei that Yermiao says can be read 
the pot is bubbling towards the north, but it could also mean from the north. And God says, no, no, it's not to the north, it's from the north where the trouble's coming. So imagine to yourself that the pot, this is made clear in other prophecies, the pot itself, all the commentators say this, and if you look at Yechezkel, Perak, Chavdal, the pot is Jerusalem. Will Jerusalem strike northward? Will Jerusalem go upward towards Assyria, towards possibly Babylonia? Remember, at the time, there is no power in the north. You might look at a map and say, wait a second, aren't Assyria and Babylonia to the east of Israel? The answer is, of course they are. But between Israel and Assyria and Babylonia, between Israel and the Fertile Crescent, we have nothing but an expanse of desert. For the Assyrian and later Babylonian armies to come to Israel, they have to go up to Syria, around, and then come back down. Therefore, they are always described as coming from the north. The question is, perhaps Jeremiah is hoping that his vision means that from the bubbling pot that is Jerusalem, things will flow outward northward, meaning that we will expel the Assyrians once and for all, and the Babylonians will not come near, that this is the end of the troubles. And God comes and says, no, that's not what it means. Mitzaphon From the north, misfortune will come. And one can imagine that for Yermiao, for Jeremiah, to give this message at a time when so many people have hope that the country, the kingdom of Yehuda, of Judah, would now enjoy a period of quiet and possibly even prosperity, but definitely freedom from their Assyrian overlords, that this would be a permanent state of affairs. And along comes Jeremiah, this naysayer, giving this bad news. God has no intention of doing this. God, in fact, is planning to bring more evil from the north, unless, of course, things change. The final section of the Torah, the opening three verses of chapter 2, they're short, but it's important to note. And the word of God came to me saying, Go out and call on the ears of Jerusalem. So says the Lord. I remember the loving kindness of your youth when you followed me in the desert in a place where they had not yet grown. Israel's holy Lord, the first of grain, a beautiful, beautiful ending. And it's important for us to note, and the commentators point this out immediately, this is Yermiel's first prophecies to the people. Up until now, he's been seeing visions, but he hasn't necessarily been told to tell the people what he's seen. The first message he used to give the people is, God remembers your kindness. God still remembers the covenant that he made with you. God still remembers the love that you showed him, and it has not been forgotten. And that's how Yermiao begins his speech to the people, hoping that, in fact, they will be more receptive to the rest of his message. With that thought in mind, we are concluding our quick little study of Jeremiah 1, Yermiao Perak Aleph, we hope that you enjoyed today's thoughts. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Tanakh Talks podcast from Alon Shrut, overlooking Jerusalem. Have a great day.